0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey, everyone. This is LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today is a special bonus edition of the podcast where I have two very special guests with me. I have Luna Malbro and Daniel Hughes. And together we are going to be talking about, well, a lot of stuff. Racism, what it's like to be Black in this country. And ultimately, this episode is um, happening because of the recent publicized death of Ahmaud Arbery, um, though it happened back in, in February. So uh, this is why we are here today. So I want to welcome, so Luna, how are you? I am, I am. <laughs> you are here for now. I am and here, here. I am here, I'm present, I'm showing up. I appreciate it. And Daniel, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yes, um, so yeah, um, I, I just wanted to create an intentional space where we could come together and talk about this very heavy topic. Um, there are a lot of things going around on social media. Some are alluding to it, some are talking to it, um, but I really want us to have a real space. So I will more fully tell you where when I decided like this is happening. Um, I was told about the video of Ahmad Avery being uh, shot in caution just to let me know it was out there in case I was scrolling to know this was happening. And I didn't have the capacity to deal with it at the time. I was just like, I just can't, not another one. But I came across a meme slash cartoon on Facebook that had a picture of a police officer who was being confronted by a large white man with a semi-automatic weapon on his back Um, and the police officer just kind of had a look of uh, dumbfounded, maybe surrender, I don't know, some look. And then kind of to the right of that was a picture of a Black man laying on the ground with blood around him. Police officer gun pointed and it said, I feared for my life he may have had a gun. And I reposted that to my account and it just said, my heart is very heavy, no words. And that was it. I still didn't take the time to really process it. Um, And things like that. And then later on in the day I posted it, um, a white male former law enforcement officer that I honestly thought I had unfriended back in 2016, but apparently maybe I just unfollowed, um, responded to my post, I disagree. And I don't know that two words have ever sent me to a space that those two words sent me. Um, and so I, I took time to process through what I was experiencing. Um, and then I responded with, I didn't respond to what he posted on mine, but I made it a post. Um, yeah. Saying you don't want to get to disagree with my heartbreak, my heartbreak, but you haven't responded. I didn't even know we were still friends. And, um, furthermore, (laughs) it was very eloquent, I think. And it was very nice. Um, but it was an equivalent of get the hell out of here and not on my page, and don't let it happen again. So here we are. I wasn't done. And so I have invited two really, really good friends of mine and laborers in this work to have some honest, candid conversations about racism, about how it interacts in our daily lives, and how we actively combat it, and um, what it's like to be Black in America. So with that, I'm just kind of opening it up for discussion. Um, So, Luna. Luna.
2: Yeah. What's coming up for you? Well, it's funny because I had um, I had heard about it. I, I, the thing I first saw, like maybe a couple of days ago, maybe a day ago, what is time now? But <laughs> a friend right. of mine, um, Trevor Joyner, who's a, uh, I'm a comedian. He's a comedian. Good friend of mine. He lives in LA, black male. And he posted, he said, "If don't send me no videos of a black man getting shot. I don't want to see that. And I saw that before I heard or saw anything. And I was like, okay, it's coming. So I, 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 I appreciate Jay so much. <laughs> like I appreciate that example because I think we need that example more because for me, I'm already scared. I'm already having a heightened anxiety with this epidemic coming around and all this different information and misinformation popping up and all of those things I'm, I'm feel I'm feeling it in my body. Um, and the addition of seeing, uh, seeing a murder play out again and again on social media. I remember this summer of 2016. Y'all remember summer of
3: 2016?
2: Mm. Wasn't it, a, wasn't it mm-hmm. a, we've, we've had this, we've, we've seen this, we've experienced this for a while, but I think it was something about that summer that it was like an, uh, Echo chamber on social media and the rise of Black Lives Matter and if the weight of it all was so much, um, digitally and and physically, like I, I you could feel it, and I just remember what that did to my body. I I gained weight <laughs> since that summer. Um, I'm, I like felt stressed. But I started having knee pain. I started feeling scared in my body. I was like doing this cross country travel, so I was like all of these things were in my very much in my frame of reference as they always will be but it was very much in my body and so i've done a lot of work since the since then of connecting to how the stress of toxic racism is showing up in my body and my mind and so i i wanted to immediately reach out to you and be like we gotta like we gotta support people with self-care in some way because this is toxic. And yes, we want to show up for love and justice, but we also have to take care of ourselves because nobody else will, you know? So yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Just um, before we move on to Daniel, just wanting to highlight, like I've talked about this numerous times, but trauma lives in the body. And so when you talk about knee pain, um, swelling, Mm -hmm. you know, water retention, all of these things this, that we start to feel and we say stress. Yes, it's stress. Um, yes, we're tired. Yes, we're overworked. We, Our mind has to wrap our experiences in a story and we reach for the most accessible story to us. Sometimes the most accessible story to us is the one that's been told to us the most or the one that we believe the most. And so if we have been working a lot and we start to feel fatigued, then we say, oh, I've been working a lot. And I'm not saying that's not true. But what I am saying is the historical and generational trauma of being Black in this country lives in every single African-American's body. And it will be activated when things like this happen. So I am just encouraging people, I want to give you another story, (laughs) So that many people don't know that. And when we think about some of the um, diseases that are so prevalent in black people in America that have been passed down generationally, you know, um, it's not just our eating habits, y'all. OK, it's it's not it's not lifestyle choices. You know, I was on social media and I saw someone posting, you know, some some frustration about how everything has been shut down and they're a small business owner. And they're ready for things to open back up um, as a small business owner. And they made a statement that the comorbidity um, with COVID-19 that's leading to fatalities are people um, who have obesity and diabetes and, you know, these various pre-existing conditions that exacerbate it. And they went on to say, why should I suffer because of their lifestyle choices? Mm. Uh, no. No, that's systemic oppression. That is trauma traveling throughout generations, manifesting itself in the body. And yes. So, yes, you feel it in your body. I feel it in mine. So many people are feeling it in their bodies. They're having an increase in headaches. They're losing their appetite. Um, just they're, they're thirsty more often. All of these things that we don't have the story of systemic oppression and racism attached to, we're finding other meanings for them. And I want to kind of bring it in that this stuff is real and it's very alive in our bodies. So thank you, Luna, for bringing that up for sure. Daniel, where are you at?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I've, uh, I, 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 I just, I've come to realize that I don't, I haven't grieved very well, like in my life. And I mm-hmm. think it's part of what you said is that like as a black man in America, that if I actually paid attention to my blackness in every space, that I probably, I don't know where I'd be stuck in. And, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't be able to produce anything with my life cause, because it's just um, the amount of grief uh, for the system that we have and all the ways in which uh, we're affected by it and um when luna mentioned that about self-care it's like i I, that's that's where i am with it like the justice stuff I, i i do that work the activism i do that work community organizing i do that work faith work i do that work um and it's like i'm just tired i'm just i'm just tired um that this this whiteness system takes up so much of my attention and my energy and my life Even if I'm not associating with folk like that, it still it still intrudes in my life and it comes in through media and it comes like and it's like I'm just fatigued. There's so much information coming in um, that I have to keep sorting through. And then I find myself not having the capacity to even feel it like I need to feel it or think about it like I need to think about it. And so to your point, uh, LaShonda, you know, I'm just trying to find the easiest story so I can keep on keeping on. And I'm just I'm just tired of that. Like I'm tired of that. Um and um, when do we create spaces for our self care that's not attached to all to whiteness at all? That's that's where I'm at. No, I feel,
0: I'm at. I feel it. I feel that. I feel it. You said something. I've been trying really hard. Um, I I like analogy. I like story. I use them a lot in. My work because I think it helps people to understand it, understand things. And I, I have for a really long time been trying to come up with an example that I could use that has maybe more universality for people to kind of understand. And my office where I'm recording this right now is next to a dentist office and they just reopened. So I've been all day watching people kind of come and they have their protocols. People have to stand outside and get their temperature taken. And I'm watching people Readjust to life, right? And I began to think about COVID nineteen, you know, as you two were talking, or the coronavirus, and you can't see it, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You there, there is no way for us to see it without a microscope, um, but it's there, and there is no one in the world at this point who is not feeling some pressure of its existence, even though they can't see it. And this invisible thing has turned the world upside down. It has impacted how people do life. It has impacted how people be in relationship. And people are angry and frustrated and tired. But let's go back to this other invisible thing called racism, right? Mm -hmm. And how it has impacted black people and people of color's lives but because people can't see it and it's not impacting them the same way they try to act like it doesn't exist but people are doing the same thing to the coronavirus Mm -hmm. there are literally people who are like it's a hoax Mm -hmm. it ain't real billions of people haven't died they lying Mm and so you get a black man shot down like an animal Mm -hmm. and there are still people who are saying you don't need no mask Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have been running, and so part of it is frustrating because there is a a fear of mine that some people just will never get it, <laughs> you know. And that the reason why that's hard is because of all the effort that I feel like I and we put into making this digestible and accessible for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? If too, I can't get too you, too much off. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not giving you a steak uh-huh. to chew and cut. I'm giving you applesauce, just <laughs> like the applesauce and people can't swallow it. You know, there there is a, a part of me that feels really frustrated and angry about it, but also sad and defeated. Um, And that's just real. Well, the thing is,
2: I, I love that analogy. And and here's the thing, like racism affects white people, too it affects uh people of privilege too and they don't want to see it. They don't want to see how it's damaged their own psyche. And and not being able to see the humanness and the humanity in another person, that's endangering your psyche too. But you out here, just like that in that analogy, I don't need no mask. I'm fine. We'll be fine. But it's it's passing on in their bodies and their generations too. And I hate, I tend to hate slave movies, but I think 12 Years a Slave did a great job of illuminating that. It showed that people that were enforcing the horrors on the enslaved, you have to be messed up to do that. Your your, your psyche, your humanity is already ruined to be in a space of doing that. And that gets passed down from generation to generation. Um, and I just want to shout out 1619 Project with Nicole Hannah-Jones, I, I think it's her name, who just went a Pulitzer for that project because they do a good job of exploring the ways that slavery has transformed the American society. Things like why we don't have universal health care, right? Like all of these things have been affected from that original quote unquote sin here in
0: the United States. Absolutely. I also want to talk about the book, My Grandmother's Hands mm. by Resmaa Menakem. Um, listen, he conceptualizes this from a trauma perspective and that it's living in our bodies, but there are black bodies, white bodies, and blue bodies being law enforcement. And it's a fantastic read. Yeah. It gives some practical things. It talks about how it's stuck in the body. It gives opportunities for us to sit with what's in our bodies Because that 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 in part is it, too. People don't want to feel it. So we go around, you know, we we ignore it and we numb it. But, you know, Luna, just circling back to that, you're absolutely right. This racism is not something that only impacts black people, brown people, you know, people of color. It impacts us all. And it is the, the kind of refusal and the fear, the fear associated with facing that for people who benefit from it. But even those who benefit from it on regular scale, who is it ultimately benefiting? Right. And so there are people who are ultimately benefiting mm-hmm. financially
3: mm-hmm.
0: from our refusal to look at this, no matter what color we are. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's troubling too. And in the book, it just talks about how, you know, originally when the indentured servants started here in this country, they were all colors. They came from all different places. But the fact that they could revolt, right, they said, that's going to mess with our money. Mm -hmm. And so we have to find a logical way to separate them and no better way to separate them than how they look. Right. And there were still white people who were indentured servants. But what they did was they created this 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 ideology that even the lowest of a white man is still better than anybody of color.
3: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: And so the lowest of white man still benefited those who ultimately benefited the 1%, but as long as they could be better than a black person or a person of color, they felt elevated. Yeah. And it's just not reality. And, And that's the troubling part that as long as I'm better than you, Mm -hmm. I'm good Mm -hmm. not realizing that there is a big old boot on their neck as well Mm -hmm. and that is extremely challenging to deal with
1: so you you mentioned the COVID moment and um it just got me thinking about the way in which uh this is unfolding I I thought from the beginning I said I wonder if this is how race was introduced into a society or race which eventually became racism when you when you separate people into essential non-essential now we don't know we don't know the effects of being essential workers or non-essential. We don't know the effects that will have on our society, but it's clearly these two different groups. Um, and it seems you know the people who were non-essential uh, in, in BC before Corona are now essential uh, after all these deaths. Ad um, so there are black and brown people on the front lines doing essential work, uh, being exposed and dying. And I said, I wonder if this is just how they do it. Like, as you begin to change the psyche of a society, because it is the 1%, I agree. And and I don't know where they're try- trying to shift us, but they're obviously shifting us to something. And I see people reorganizing um, based on these messages coming from folk I just flat out don't trust. And it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. It's just that you're like the educated class carries the agenda for the 1% we come up through their institutions and we preach sermons and we teach lessons and we, you know what I mean? And, and so they just get to like, the police officers are doing their part. The, the professors are doing their part. Like we're all playing into the system that um, I'm not quite sure um, we should all be playing this game. Like, I I think, like, I I just think that, uh, I think we have to question not, not, I'm not, not like the conspiracy theorists, but we have to question what are we reorganizing around right now? Like, how how are we going to become a more inclusive, multicultural, multiracial, healthy, whole society? Um, and, and I think that we have to start creating those spaces and doing that work now, because on the other side of it, I think the the lines will already be drawn, kind of like maybe the way that race those lines were drawn, and people just kind of were they they were just reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, I and and so that's just a thought that I had when you when you brought up the COVID, and, and I was like, so what is this essential non essential thing doing to us? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I struggle with not like, you know, conspiracy gets a bad rep to me. I'm like, hold on. I'm not exactly saying I'm not. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? I got Mm -hmm. some theories and I know it don't add up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so call it what you want to. But there is a caution there. And like, yeah, the essential, non-essential. So one, yeah, who was deemed not even non-essential, but almost not human. Yes. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden are eastern they're heroes Mm -hmm. and i've seen a couple of things you know um like a tweet and two i i i don't remember who it was it was a mother though a mother whose child worked an essential job but it was like working in maybe a convenience store or um a grocery store and it was this notion of you keep calling my child a hero my my child is a casualty of war yeah yeah and that's thing let's not pretty up words Mm -hmm. let's not take out ads saying we appreciate you we thank you no no they are casualties of war because the non-essentials are in their ivory towers in the penthouse and what i said the other day is and i said but don't i'm not trying to get it twisted i'm at least on the second floor of somebody's ivory tower Mm -hmm. i'm Mm. working at home I'm working. I have a dedicated office that I come to. I don't have to go out if I don't want to. I can get groceries delivered in. Not a single time have I questioned or thought, are we going to be able to eat? Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Will I be able to generate income? So I'm not trying to, you know, come from a place that's not genuine. I acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Right. I can sit with that. And that's part of the work. Right. But that's what I'm asking other people to do. Sit with it, like be real with it. Don't try to fake the struggle if you ain't in the struggle. Your struggle might be different. The fact that we have this conceptualization of what it means to be Black, Mm -hmm. right? And in that black means struggle Mm. and the struggle and it don't look Mm -hmm. a certain way. That's not what I'm asking people to do. If you upper middle class, you still got to struggle because the systems that are in place still see you as a black person. Mm. But let's sit with that and talk about that Mm -hmm. instead of trying to act like all of us have to have the same struggles down in the hood. I came from the hood, Mm. dead smack in the middle of Detroit. Right. But I had to have a realization the other day, girl, the thing, you know, this grind, you you're not lower working class no more. Mm -hmm. You're this middle class person who is not being impacted by this the way other people are. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be real about that. But I also want to call out this whole essential Mm. hero. No, it's a lie. They are literally what we could listen. we're, We're talking about it as if it's a war. The last war I remember is the war on drugs. Right. Yep. We know how that turned out. Right. It's never been a war on drugs. It was a war on black people.
1: And and that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, there's something up Mm -hmm. and, and the language, I just don't trust the messages coming out. Mm -mm. Uh, Noam Chomsky talks about how, um, how we get, not necessarily duped, but how we get used by the system through propaganda and the media. And it's like, like, we talk about what they are doing. It's like, who are they? Like, who, who, mm-hmm. who, who are we really pointing to? The, the 1%. They're the ones dictating the messages. They're the ones dictating who's valuable and who will be valuable in the next world. They know where they want things to go. They know what economy they're trying to build. And black and brown folk always get the shaft. Like, we already know that. So we got, somehow we got to get ahead of the game and we got to build what we need to build for us, by us, um, that's just not based upon whatever they do. I right. just I, I like and I'm and I, you know what I mean I'm not I don't know how that sounds it's just like I think we're going to be in we're going to be stuck reacting and I think that's what I felt with that photo is like I like this is so this this moment is so fucked up I don't even know how to like there's coronavirus there's stuff yeah. going on in my neighborhood there's now the, and it's like I I don't have capacity to to fight all these fights
2: all these fights and so kind of what speaking to what both of y'all are saying, especially the class piece, because that's been sitting with me because this is the most comfortable I've ever been in my life at this moment in time. And I also feel and can see so quickly that it can go in a heartbeat. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I I have like a couple of months. I don't have five, you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel that I feel this uh, this pressure to use a very bad, ill-fitting reference, but I'm going to use it because it's so funny and stupid to be using this <laughs> reference in it and to talk about racism. But I just part of me feels like that that part of Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind, where she's like, it's God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again." <laughs> like <laughs> I've definitely said that a couple of times, sitting in my house, like. <laughs> all right, the business is slowed down. What, what do I need to do? What moves am I going to make? And what I want to say to that that connects it back is two things. One, I'm recognizing and acknowledging and seeing how siloed I am and how yeah. siloed we are, often are class-wise. All my family's back in Louisiana and we have different people of all incomes. But being here in a different city, I'm in a middle-class bubble. So mm-hmm. the people that even I can try to support – you know I, I remember when it first happened I, I i sent out a message to friends and i'm like if you need someone to watch your kids like i i i I got you if you need to work and watch your kids if you have to be an essential worker blah, blah blah i got you and everybody was like no we're working from home we're good and it's just like that was the moment where i'm like damn my yeah. bubble my mm-hmm. bubble is of a mm-hmm. certain class so yeah. h- who am i able to help and reach out to and support and the digital divide is real because yeah. the, the people I can send a message right in my Facebook group are on Instagram. But there are only certain people who will be able to see it because the algorithms are racist. And I know that yeah. sounds a little crazy, but I, I mm-hmm. feel like we do mm-hmm. not talk about digital racism enough mm-hmm. and how we don't talk about it enough. But the algorithms are racist and the algorithms are separating people. So we, we talk have to- about it at all. We don't know. <laughs> no. I'm just asking because I ain't going to lie. I don't know that I've ever heard digital racism. Digital racism is real. Couple, a couple of things to that. While I have while I have my foil, but my foil hat is actually made of steel. This is not tenfold. This is information and, and speaking with people who work in tech. So one, ways people experience discrimination is like certain em- employers can now... Um, by using all this data put out ads for certain people you could say mm-hmm. I want people to come to this job duh, 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 this is what I want this is what I want to find um, who are college educated who live here who live in this network who like watching friends like th- it's mm-hmm. so detailed if you're if you're putting out an ad for a house right you could do you could be so detailed in that right all of these different ways and don't get me started on how white supremacy, is being funneled through people just Googling things like, why can't I get a girlfriend? And it's, mm. it's literally, that's how Dylan Roof was um, yeah. radicalized by searching, why can't I get a girlfriend? And people are using the algorithms and using that knowledge to further radicalize uh, disgruntled, angry white dudes who can't get no play and pull them in. But we're not yeah. talking about that. We're not spending time or money on that. And that's really scary to me because people are being radicalized and also all this disinformation. I remember yep. one time I was doing a training and I was Googling, trying to Google like diff- different resources about racism that I could share with people. And the first thing that came up, right. That means that these people know how to use the internet to their advantage. The first thing that came up was like why racism is a myth. Yeah. The first <laughs> thing. So yeah. people are, people are av- are navigating these digital spaces in ways where Um, people who are doing uh, our work are not
0: yet tapping into. So no, that's that's real. And and go ahead, Daniel.
1: No, that's not a tin hat. That's not, that's not, you're not crazy. Just today, just today, I got this uh, notification from Google um, about my ad settings and it says ads are based on personal info that you've added to your Google account, data from advertisers, the partner that partner with uh, Google and Google's estimation of your interests. You're between forty five and fifty four. YouTube, Manscaped, action and adventure films, American football, astronomy, colleges and universities, uh, income high, insurance. Like there are probably there are probably a hundred and fifty categories that Google has constructed based on whatever I've done or I, I like I'm looking at it right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not crazy. And if and media literacy is a real thing. If we don't get become a more media literate, I'm saying black and brown folk, this is mm-hmm. your, the, the racism. We already know about the physical racism. Now we're moving to the virtual reality. That's mm-hmm. the that's what I feel like is happening is like yeah. those who can't make the shift to the virtual, that's where you're going to be left behind. And the opportunities are going to be there virtually or digitally. Um, and there are companies out there, there are all kinds of organizations out there. The Center for Media Literacy is one if your listeners are interested in that. And they give you five, uh, key questions that you need to ask of any type of media. Um, and then there are five core concepts, um, that, uh, go along with that. But I, I think that media literacy has got to be one of the areas that we, um, as black and Brown people, we got to get in that arena because we are so far behind the game. Yep. Um, and we are not going to be able to pull on their heartstrings and we're not like the, All the rules of the game are being like cre- created now.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: like I felt like the new plantation, like we, because of our giving them them our free information, we actually helped build that new economy. Like we were all slaves, regardless of color. We were all slaves because we were on, you know, digital communication. Um, And so now the infrastructure is there. They already have all this data on us. And now they're going to begin to categorize. And I think that that's what essential, non-essential kind of does. It does. Um,
3: yeah. And,
1: and, and you're saying those essential workers, that can be another uh, stand in for black. OK, we'll get away from race. We're going to leave race in the past. And now those essential workers. Yeah. Like it's that that. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's deep. Yeah. So One, I want to say that we're going to put that resource in the show notes. I, I want to come back before we move forward, though, and say that the thing that these um, that this categorized information is using to do it is it's it's kind of the age old trick. Like if it's not broken, don't fix it. And Mm -hmm. it is, it is really playing on the very basic of human needs that we have Mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if it can be used to help us feel connected to a cause, Hmm. right. Something bigger than ourselves.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: If it can be used to make us feel like we're connected to people that we admire Mm -hmm. and who stand for a cause. Then it's the same thing and it's happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. So one one thing that I wanna, you know, I wanna caution people with is so I had this experience where I was uh, at Duke Energy Center for this event, and it 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 was it was mostly black people, and they had a speaker who had said something that I did I completely didn't agree with. It was completely non trauma, forget responsive, informed, or whatever, <laughs> right? Yeah. So this person made a statement. And you could hear, you could feel, you could feel the the the, um, the timidity in the room. You know, the people who were kind of like, mm, that didn't sound quite right. But this person has a reputation in the city for being well known. Um, this person, I would say, is rather charismatic. And you, what I watched happen was over time, he kept going into this thing that he had said. And, and then next thing you know, I felt like I was in a black church service.
3: Mm. There were
0: literal amens and there were like all of this stuff. And I, I I specifically remember, and I was by myself. I was a speaker for this thing, but I was by myself. I didn't have anyone to turn to and say this. But exactly what I felt is this is no different than a Trump rally. Mm. <laughs> the same. Mm-hmm. The people have a different color skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a different person on the stage, but what I watched is the vulnerable the vulnerability of yeah. humanity to be connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we will be connected around anything as long as it doesn't leave us isolated. And I don't mean strong will, I don't mean peer pressure. I mean the we are we are biologically driven. To connect mm. and not be isolated. Because mm. you know what happens in the wild to the one that's isolated? Got a lion it. does not have to attack the entire herd. It just mm. needs the most vulnerable. The one that's left by themselves. The isolated. The weak. Ooh. The the wounded. You mm. know, the ill. And so because our systems understand that, we will be pulled into connection with the group of people so that we're not the one out. Yeah. And we might not feel it. We might be like, mm, I'm gonna just go over here so I don't get eaten. But I ain't buying into this. But you know what? The more you hear it, yes, mm-hmm. yep. the more you hear it, the more you're indoctrinated. Right. And so I want people. Let's not just look at the white, the known white supremacists. Yep. You know what I mean? The three percent or whatever they call it, the the Confederate flag hanging people because they're easy targets. Yes. Mm-hmm. Don't pin the tail on the donkey. Yep. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, no. Let's come back to your work environment. Let's come back to your dining room table. And I'm talking about all races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we are such a... We are a species that is easily indoctrinated. Yeah. And the people who claim and woke, they just indoctrinated with something else. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. So yes. The, I don't, don't... I can't with the I'm woke, you not know. Oh. Yeah, And it's just... God, like you said, and all of us are under the boot of 1% who mm-hmm. was benefiting from it all. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I
1: mean? Yep. That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. That felt good. Thank you. I appreciate it. I want to know,
2: though, because I'm nosy. I You don't have to tell me the person, but I want to know what was the thing that was said <laughs> that was so trauma-informed? What was that?
0: What was that? The sentiment that- this The person- I don't. I don't know how they got here, right? I, I was listening to the thing, but essentially, what this person said was, um, an, a, a story or analogy of a second grader in a talent show, and this this second grader. Sings and everybody claps and this person said, and I'd be the one to be like, boo, boo. Like, look, the baby can't sing. Don't be lying to the kids. Wow. Mm. You know what I mean? But but no, and then you could hear people were kind of like, oh, mm, you know, <laughs> and it's like, wait, 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 hear me out. Anytime I hear somebody say, wait, 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 hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> I, me, but all right, wait, 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 hear me out. Now, what I'm saying is you pull, I would pull that baby aside and I would say, look, baby, you can't sing, but I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna get you some lessons, but we out here lying to the kids, right? Now, the thing that got me is before this person made that statement, they had mentioned aces, adverse childhood experiences. And what what and I still need to write this person an email because okay, I'ma chalk it up to ignorance, but did you know that the greatest ace is humiliation? Mm. If you look at what they were looking for, abuse, all of these things, what's wrapped in it is humiliation. Uh. It's shame. Mm -hmm. And so what I saw was, and there were about 250 people in this room. You could hear that they, people really want, that didn't sound, it didn't sound nice. Right. Mm -hmm. But by the time this charismatic person finished wrapping words around this sentiment, people were, Hey man, you right? No, he's not right. (laughs) Right. He's not right. Because you can help that child without humiliating that child. Mm -hmm. And I want to know how old do you feel? booing a second year old. Right. Second yeah. You know what I mean? If I want to bring in my developmental and relational trauma, yeah. but I think the thing that stuck out to me the most was, and I don't know this person. And I tell you, I'm not from Cincinnati and I'm not a respecter of persons. And it's good mm-hmm. because when I look at people. I see their wounds. Mm-hmm. I don't care what your title say. I don't, none of that, none of that impresses me. But what I noticed is because of the name of this person, the position they hold and, and all of this stuff, people let down, They didn't listen to the part of their gut that tightened up when he said that. Yes, they didn't listen to their heart rate that accelerated a little bit that said, Mm. "Wait a minute, you wouldn't want that done to you." They didn't notice that their palms started sweating and they shifted in their seats. Mm. That a a charismatic, influential person Mm. can get us to lose our connection with our bodies. Mm. Hitler, right? Everybody who did that didn't want to do that, but a influential person can disconnect us from our body. It happens in pool pits all the time. Mm -hmm.
1: So so you just brought up Hitler. um, And I I mentioned Noam Chomsky's quote, and I just found it. I wanted to read it because it speaks exactly to what you're saying. He was talking about state propaganda, but what you're talking about is just flat out propaganda. And he says, state propaganda, when supported by the educated class, and when no deviation is permitted from it, can have a big effect. It was a lesson learned by Hitler and many others, and it has been pursued to this day. And it's exactly what you're saying um, that happened in that setting. But it's happening to all of us that that we know something's not right, but we're not paying attention to our bodies. We're not paying attention to our guts. We're just kind of going along um, and we're hearing the same message every day. It's like clockwork. People are like, I'm watching every press conference at two o'clock, and then I'm like, this you you have to unplug, be informed. Maybe check the news once a week, mm-hmm. but you, you got to we got to we better start paying attention to our guts because your gut is letting you know something is not right. And our and our these systems are going to have us in a place that I, when we wake up from it, I don't know. I just don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I know it doesn't feel right. I don't.
2: It doesn't what? feel right, and and so here's my struggle. Okay, and I actually. Was on a walk with a friend, a socially distant walk with a friend last week. And I was like, I think I'm a middle class. I think I'm a, I think I'm a, it's my middle class viewpoint because I've been getting these YouTube videos from a lot of my black friends, specifically my black friends. And some of it is cray. Like, I I don't think that the whole thing is, I don't think coronavirus is a hoax. I don't think, uh the cure mm-hmm. is just lemon you know like i what? i yeah and i feel like someone who's giving medical advice should have a shirt on but <laughs> i feel like i just at least wear a shirt like i you can't send me a video being like this is the cure for coronavirus and not have a shirt on but here's the thing i'm so skeptical of that but mm-hmm. I, as i share with my fr- my friend i have benefited from the institutions. Yep. I have a quote unquote Ivy League degree. I'm friends with people who work for the government, who who've worked with Obama. I was on Obama, like not this not this administration, but I have friends who are friends with mayors and doctors, and I'm like close to a lot of people who are making, uh, who are sharing information, or or who are people that people don't trust. Mm-hmm. And I, I I resonate so much with what you said, Daniel, about like. It's the middle class that perpetuates mm. the pro- propaganda of the 1% because I've been feeling that. And I've been feeling this tension when I know and I have experienced that like so much disinformation flows through YouTube and YouTube is trash. Like, yeah. and, and and they know, they know how to radicalize people on, on every all types of things from anti-vax to all, I mean, all sorts of things is coming from there. So I've always been skeptical of quote unquote information and be critical of who's sharing it. But at the same time I also am critical of quote unquote the the government and what our especially oh, specifically yeah. our government right like I'm actually just paying attention to what they're doing in other countries I'm like all right let me just follow what they're doing <laughs> over there because you know like <laughs> um, but yeah so I'm I'm critical and I understand why why people are looking for other sources of information but what I what I sit with is anybody who's telling you, I alone know the answer mm. is shouldn't be trusted. That's, that's kind Preach. of like my guiding. Mm-hmm. That's my guiding thing. That's all I, what I know yeah. is that there should be more questions than answers at this point. And if you're saying this is the answer, I know the truth. I can't. Come on.
1: Well, and, and in a democracy and, and, and I know that we're used to it, right? Like we're used to the leaders kind of providing us the information and we go with it, but really technically, they inform us and we, the people are really supposed to be making the decision. So if we wanted to isolate, if we really wanted to do this, it really, there has to be some sort of uh, dialogue that's supposed to take place, but that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. They're feeding us all the information and we don't, no one knows if it's true or not. And, and we really weren't, we're, as a democracy, we're not consulted. So um, I think that that's where a lot of the fear comes in. And I think that's what Noam Chomsky was getting at, is that they're manufacturing our consent, right? Out of, just because we're passive. Right. So they come in, they do the press conference and there's no real way to we can't we can't reject it. We can't disagree. Like we really don't have any recourse. We just have to take it. Um, and so I think there's something that we're losing in our democracy in that in that in that way, too, that we need to reclaim too, as the people, the powers with the people. And um, not saying that we don't trust our experts and trust our leaders, but uh, there needs to be some sort of dialogue that we're having. Um, and I know our press; they're trying to do the best that they can. But I, I think the middle class. You're right. I think that that's what that's we're the buffer between them and the poor. Uh, we keep the poor people in check so that they don't revolt, and mm-hmm. they they give us a few trinkets and uh, twelve hundred dollars here and there, and and we go about our business. But um, and
0: into that, whether we're talking middle class or not, like to me, so much of reality lies in the middle, mm-hmm.
3: and we yep.
0: are yep. a culture in a society that deals in extremes. Mm-hmm. So either COVID is going to kill everybody or it's not even real.
3: Yep, that's right.
0: I mean, that's it. These yep. are yeah. the extremes that people are operating out of, yep. right? Yep. Either slavery ended 400 years ago and y'all need to get it together or we can never prosper in advance. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no <laughs> middle. Yeah. And so while people are, it's like, if you remember like when you were, I had this, uh, it's like a baton toy with glitter and liquid. When I was a kid, and you would turn it one way and all the li- glitter would I go I down. To yeah, I, I would try to get the glitter to stay in the middle. Do you know how hard it was?
1: Mm. Wow.
0: Right? We are tipped towards yep. extremes. You go girl so- with your analogies. I'm sorry. You I- know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I came up with that. It's a gift. I ain't gonna lie. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge it. But the reality is, it's so hard <laughs> to stay balanced in the middle. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, part of what's happening as I see it, it's so interesting. So our political party has the potential to change sides every four years. Right.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, At least regarding presidency and stuff like that. And what this does is it keeps us on a seesaw and that's exactly Mm -hmm. what those who ultimately benefit want. Mm -hmm. So, I think about um, again I was on social media and I saw someone post something to the impact of whenever I see a Republican I just assume it's a lie or whenever I hear something from a Republican I just assume it's a lie and then someone who they were friends with underneath and said, I understand whenever I hear something from a Democrat I assume it's a lie so they had a good laugh about it but it's real
3: mm-hmm. it
0: literally is real mm-hmm. right it, if if we get one part if they if one person says it we know that there are other people who are gonna take it to the extreme yep. And they're not going to say something about that is off. They're going to say the whole thing is a lie. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm. And as long
0: as we teeter-totter on this, on this seesaw going up and down, up and down, there's one balance point to a seesaw and it's in the middle. Mm-hmm. But no one is willing to come to the middle. Mm-hmm. It's either all bad or all good. And nothing in life is like that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. But we want Idealize these things, right? And you know, just to put this out there for people who want to have more information, I definitely want to mention um, the four eyes of oppression. Yeah, in case people have not heard of it, and eyes being like the letter I, right? So we have ideological oppression, we have institutional impre- um, oppression, we have interpersonal oppression, and we have internalized
3: mm-hmm.
0: oppression right? The ideological oppression is them and us. Anytime it's a them, we Mm -hmm. them people all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. It was, it was was part of the divisive plan created in order to keep us where we are. And even as we advance, whatever that means, it's still, as long as there's a them and the moment we get to not be a them, we feel good. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, this isn't just race. We them other people, no matter what marginalized community we come from. Right? Mm-hmm. And then the institutional oppression are the systems that carry it out mm-hmm. education, law enforcement, government, medicine, healthcare. Like, all of these are just the systems that carry the ideologies away. Mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee you they are theming in the hospitals. Them oh. nurses over there who don't have to deal with the COVID patient. Oh, yeah. Them nurses over oh, yeah. there who do. You name the place, they're theming. Well, even, even the theming, so
2: in Italy, they were making decisions over who's gonna get these ventilators and respirators. And I was like, Oh shit, <laughs> this mm-hmm. comes <laughs> like, like you know if they're doing that there, you know they're doing based on theming. Who can afford theming well you already have comorbidities quote-unquote like so mm-hmm. much theming
0: it happens all the time and what? then we move it oh go ahead Daniel.
1: no well do you you know what they did in israel right with the uh your phone data
0: no they oh. were
1: oh yes yes they were using anti-terrorism uh, software and technology to identify those who were infected with covet by through their phone Mm. and they were and they were going to their houses they were going to their houses and um to either taking them to the hospital and 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 checking them right there on the spot yes yes wow yes
0: you said that i i I had this thought the other day and i i I haven't said it out loud besides to my husband but this reminds me of modern day leprosy yes Mm. Uh, yes you know what Mm. i mean for those who need a biblical reference mm -hmm. like you know this is leprosy And Mm -hmm. and
1: this is where I think our 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 old categories of race aren't going to apply to this next world because we're being reorganized in some other way. And I I, and I don't know what that new reorganization is. But if you look at what happened with black folk and slavery, you know, it's not going to be good for a lot of folk. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be good for a lot of folk.
0: So when we move past, you know, so the ideological, the theming, the institution or the systems that carry it out, then we move into our interpersonal oppression. That's Mm -hmm. the violence we Mm -hmm. enact on one another. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's Mod Avery being shot down by a former police officer and his son mm. like he was an animal. Right. That's interpersonal mm. oppression. And then we have our internalized oppression. And I want to spend a little bit of time here because I know I have internalized racism yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I recognize it. I notice it. I acknowledge it. I accept it in the moment. This is where I'm at, and I'm real with it. But if the people, Mm -hmm. we're always looking at the racism that comes from the outside, Mm -hmm. but we don't realize we have spent our whole lives drinking a poisoned Kool Aid. Mm -hmm. It is in the air we breathe, Mm -hmm. it is literally in the water we drink. You know, Flint still don't have clean water. Mm. Right. And all the things they have been drinking from all those years, they're now starting to see the impact of that. And it was happening before you could see that the water was poison, right? This is happening. And so I I wanna ask you two, if you would be willing to share how internal racism, internalized racism shows up or has shown up for you. And the reason is because I say this all the time, I hate before and after pictures. Mm -hmm. Mm. What I looked like before. And now look at me, but they don't show you the middle.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I hate that people who give testimonials on TV or testimonies in church tell you about the issues they had before, but they don't tell you about what they're going through right now. Mm. And I think it's imperative that as we talk about these things, that you don't think you're you're listening to three people who have all the answers who no. don't have Mm-mm. questions and who have not perpetuated race, you know, these ideas of racism on themselves uh, and on other people, because that would be unrealistic. And that's just not the kind of show I run. So who wants to go first? I'm happy to go because I spend a lot of time thinking
2: about internalized racism. And as someone who uh, does this work and that, you know, I, I bring in people and I, I, I think it's so important to tell people about the four eyes, because if you don't, they'll just think racism is one action so I talk about it, and it's so funny to me because I I love talking with you, Lashonda, because I don't I don't get to talk about my internalized racism with so many other people. So I love that we're having this conversation. But I'll just say one middle that comes out, and there's so many. But I was struck maybe Monday. I paused. I was having a conversation with a friend, uh, a black friend of mine. We went to we went to a HBCU together. She is Trinidadian, and I said something like. Oh, I like that new Meg the St- I like the new Beyonce, re- like, uh, song on on the Beyonce remix to Meg the Stallion. And she was just like, I don't really like Ms. Meg the Stallion. I was like, Well, you know, I was happy to see like a dark skinned, you know, rapper doing her thing. My friend, who <laughs> I don't even know how I would describe her, but I would say she is, uh, on the darker spectrum, like, similar to me. And I'm, I'm saying that because the conversation that unfolded, she was like, well, I don't think Megan Stallion is that dark skin. And I'm like, she's chocolate. She's like, she's not chocolate. She's light skin. I'm like, she's around my complexion. No, she's not. And we talked for about 20 minutes looking through photos <laughs> of me, of other friends of ours. And she's like, no, she's Cece's complexion. I'm like, no, that's not a good picture of Cece. The, the, the light name, right? That's not how she's light light skin than <laughs> that. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Why are we spending 30 minutes Uh, dissecting Meg the stallion, whether or not she is light skin or chocolate and whether it's lighting or like, it's just like, it's just so much. And I was just like, this is so silly. Why are we still talking about this? But I had to, I had to do it because for me, one thing that I'm, I'm starting to realize is I've internalized so much about my worth and my beauty um, based on how little I've seen darker skinned black women be seen as beautiful in the media. Hmm. And we, what we see as beautiful is what we see a lot. And it got to the point where even recently I said, you know, I'm going to have my own. I don't know if y'all ever heard of um, the Bechdel, te- the Bechdel scale. I know I'm saying the Allison Bechdel, she created a scale of like, I'm only going to watch movies where like two women are, can t- would be talking to each other. And it's not about a man, but I'm like, I'm going to have my own scale. I'm not going to consume media, that doesn't have uh, darker complected people in it, that doesn't have people of all body sizes in it. I'm going to just stop consuming any media where I don't see representation of myself because that's how internalized it is where I started to feel like I'm unattractive. I'm not, even even now when I'm in my 30s, you know, all of this is still packed on and I have to actively do
0: work to undo that. And that's just in one aspect. Right. (laughs) Right. It could be so much more, but that wasn't awesome. Thank you for that example, because I feel like that resonates, especially people in the black community <laughs> um, colorism and, and yeah, all that stuff. So thank you for that. What about for you, Daniel?
1: Mm, I'm a work in progress. I'm in recovery right now. Hello, right. my name is Daniel and I'm a racist. Mm-hmm. Um, like um, I, I started, man, probably 2017, I started doing this inner work of racial justice um up until then it was always kind of externally focused but um a couple of years back i uh, started to break up with whiteness i didn't realize that even though i'm black projecting i got dreadlocks um i had been assimilated that my i actually identified with whiteness not a white person but whiteness the values and um they were deeply entrenched in me um and i navigated that system um and so when I realized that, that I was, uh, identifying with whiteness, um, I decided to divorce whiteness and, uh, my life has kind of gone upside down since then because there were just certain things I couldn't, um, the job that I had, I was connected to another organization and our our two organizations separated. Um, and, uh, um, I stopped, there was a year like, I think this was last year. I decided that I wasn't going to read anything that wasn't coming from a woman of color or a marginal voice because I, you know, I was just done listening to whiteness. Um, uh, this year, um, as, you know, as a black man, uh, in order for me to make it in America, I had no feelings. Like I had to shut down, like actually feeling stuff. So I would stay either in my head or in my gut. And so in my gut is anger and in my head it's, um, it can be fear, but I didn't, like, I didn't know that you could actually feel something in your heart. Like I just, if there was something that would happen, I would automatically like, Oh, okay, I got to do this. Um, and so this year I'm really, I'm taking a year to increase my emotional intelligence. And that's been crazy because I didn't know that you could actually feel stuff there. And, and it feels really weird. These sensations in my, in my chest area. Um, and sometimes stuff shoots through my whole body. Um, and so, um, you know what, like I said, when we first got on the, on the call, on the podcast, you know, when I saw mod, I'm like, I don't want to pay attention to it. I don't want to, I don't want to have to, I don't want to pay attention to it. And that's privilege. Mm-hmm. And so I'm now I'm asking myself, like, how do I leverage my privilege? Like, as I start to work through this stuff, uh, internally, how, how do I leverage the, the, what I do have for, for us? Um, and so, um, you know, every day or I have opportunities to have calls like this that just remind me that I haven't arrived, I got more work to do and I get encouraged and I get nuggets and, um, I'm just, you know, this may sound cliches, but I really do. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be present one day at a time. Seriously. Like, I feel like I'm in recovery. Like I, yeah.
0: No, that's deep and that's real. I appreciate that. You know, for me, um, I frequently say, you know, it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. I remember I had a friend that would say that. So when I was a child, so I grew up in Detroit and, um, you know, back in the day, gas, what, 79 cents a gallon, you know, Uh, something, you just go for rides. Um, Only child growing up in my home, my dad would take, you know, take me on rides all the time. We would just ride. And if you go out Jefferson in Detroit, um, past downtown and through past this uh, park called Belle Isle You go into this place called You finally arrive into St. Clair Shores And St. Clair Shores is a town Or township or city um, Where all of a sudden Every house is a mansion Country clubs, boats And my dad would kind of drive me around there And and it was it was implicit Like I understood that he was telling me Two things One, you can have and be anything that you want Right? Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't have or be anything you want. I understood that that has fueled a lot of me, Mm. but he also was teaching me that and how, you will know, when you have succeeded is when it's connected to whiteness.
3: Mm. And Mm -hmm. so
0: I, I lived though. I grew up in what 95% black Detroit, right. Where I can count the number of white kids I went to school with from kindergarten to 12th grade, though I can also count um, with three fingers, how many black teachers I had. Mm. Um, I then went on to the University of Michigan where I was become 8% of the population. And so from there, there was just this striving. I didn't even realize it Mm -hmm. that my, my compass for success was whiteness. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was, that's, that was my true North. And and when I realized it, how I picked my home, you know, I watch HGTV and it's interesting because Detroit was flipped the city Is where the low income houses and stuff like that were besides a few small pockets, but moving out to the suburbs, that was it. You know what I mean? You, you get there that that's a rival. And, um, so everything when I moved to Cincinnati was geared around living in the suburbs and all this stuff. And it didn't come home until one day at Easter, by the way, in front of the entire family, my son says, I want to be white.
3: Mm.
0: So first thought we can't have this conversation at home, (laughs) right? (laughs) (laughs) your (laughs) family then turns and looks at us like uh what you gonna do about that right (laughs) and it's just like going through this conversation of what what did what did that even mean right Mm -hmm. it was the idea of whiteness Mm -hmm. and what year did black panther come out 16 2017 (laughs) so this this would have been um so maybe when it was some holiday because it was before Maybe it was Christmas. Uh, it was before Black Panther came out, and I just remember me apologizing to my son and saying, "Cause his thing is, well, white people are cool." And this would happen after he would have a bash of watching certain things on, like the Disney Channel.
3: Like, right? mm-hmm. there's
0: no representation, mm-hmm. and I just had to say, I, I, I did everything in me that I thought was best based on the template I had, and that was whiteness, mm-hmm. and I did not give you exposure. To people who look like you, who are also cool, you know what I mean. Who also are meaningful, and so that for me is where I began to realize how how my compass was set to whiteness mm-hmm. and and all of my intersecting identities. So let us not be, you know, it, we'll meet Luna and I say this all the time: identities intersect, mm-hmm. and race is you know running through all of that. So it's not as simple as we would make it seem, but it's real.
3: Mm-hmm. And, I, and
0: I felt it was very important as we began to wrap up to talk about this, because some, when I see people out there who are talking, they're talking from this position of authority, but not vulnerability. Mm. And for me, if you ain't got vulnerability, you have no authority for me. Okay, I need to see a person who is vulnerable, who can be real. And I'm glad I I would love to follow leaders who've been through and overcome things. But if you have arrived and that's Mm -hmm. not a such thing, then I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I can't get with it. We are real people who, who intersect with, who race intersects with our lives in very real ways. And it was imperative for me that we provided an honest, open, vulnerable conversation, because I know there are people in the privacy of their minds or homes are having these conversations, Yeah, but they don't think that they can have them with anybody else. And so I wanted to do that. As we prepare well, to close, um, get- I do want to give each person an opportunity to say, Daniel, whatever you were going to say, but just um, anything about if 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 any of us have said something that appeals to a person and then they want to know, like, how can I find you? How can I get in touch with you or, you know, Luna and I can talk about the trainings we do, um, but just giving people resources. I don't want to dump it all and then be like, all right, <laughs> how can we be a resource to people? But go ahead and say what you were going to say first, Daniel.
1: No, one, I just want to say thank you for uh, the call and allowing me to be uh, part of your conversation that you and Luna have. Um, and this uh, conversation has uh, only underscored what I've been feeling since last year and it is the, the, the role of the feminine uh, moving forward. When you mentioned vulnerability versus authority um, or um, vulnerability first, um, I think that the, the, the voice, the experience of the black woman is the voice that's needed in this next era, is the voice, just as those white men constructed America, constructed the West, we need the black woman to construct the the values in the process moving forward you're the only ones in our society that have all of these intersections and we can't give what we don't have mm-hmm. and so just trust your voice trust your experience and somehow uh we've got to figure out ways to create spaces that that your works your words can be um um organized and you can begin to train us um and and some folks don't know that they need it yet but it's it's becoming very it's it's extremely clear. So thank you for letting me be here.
0: Of course. And, um, is there a platform on which anyone can find you if they would like to communicate with you or connect with you?
1: Yeah. Um, I I'm on Facebook and, uh, they can email me at, um, pastor D Hughes at Gmail. Um, and, uh, we can chop it up there and, um, yeah, we can go from there.
0: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Luna, what about
2: you? Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm always grateful to you, LaShonda, because it's a pleasure to share space with you as we often do and collaborate. And I just want to, I just want to share my gratitude for your voice, Daniel. And it's just like, it, it was so needed for, <laughs> for you to be here and talking with you is such a pleasure. And I'm, I'm just grateful for who you are and the work that you're doing, the inner work, the outer work that you're doing. And I admire that. And I I will be one of those people following up with you. Um, but I guess what, one thing I'll just share is I um, I do work around what I call culture humility, um, which is around equity and justice also, but I sneak in under that name because you got to. Um, and all of that work is <laughs> related um, under the Soul Bird Consulting. Which, so if you're interested in that kind of work, you can go to Soulboard Consulting Info um, and find me there. But I also am a performer and a creative and a comedian. And all of that is on Luna's America. You can follow me on Luna's America. My social media stuff is primarily dedicated for me just being creative. And I, I as a comedian, has been have been really focused over the past year, specifically since 2020, on Black Joy. I wanna, I wanna focus on that. I wanna focus on black joy and black silliness and black creativity and, and just all of these interesting and weird ways where we can show up and be our full selves and, and laugh because um, for me, laughter is healing.
0: It is and it gives you dopamine. That's mm-hmm. why it's healing. <laughs> Thank you, Luna. Um, Daniel, Luna, like love you so much thank you for being here um you know i was it it was like a fire shut up in my bones i had to get it out (laughs) and i would have sat here just ranting myself but i said no i have a i have i have a support system i have a team i have people and so thank you for on such a short notice just kind of dropping what you're doing to be here with me um you know, whether people listen regularly or not, I'm a therapist. I work with multi generational families, helping them address their generational trauma. I do work with uh, couples and individuals as well. But a lot of my work is training, it's training um, people to understand the impact of trauma and how it impacts them, especially if they're in the helping profession or the faith community. And Luna and I collaborate a lot. You know, to talk about equity, justice, and how trauma intersects with that. And so, if you were listening today and you are like, "Man, that's deep. I want to have more conversations," or um, people need to hear this, and we need people who can articulate this to our groups of people, um, we are some people who can help you with that. If we can't provide it directly for you, we can help point you in the right direction. Um, and so, I want to. Just put that out there. All the contact information will be in the show notes to my listeners. I genuinely thank you for being here today for this special episode of the podcast. If you want to reach out to me specifically, please uh, go to my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. I'm on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget, we have our YouTube channel where every Thursday we have a Therapy Thursday video. Go over and subscribe to that. And don't forget to like, share, and um, comment and rate uh, the podcast. We have awesome content and even better guests. Until we connect, you all be well.